This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is a Business Radio special presentation of Mind Your Business, live from the EY Strategic Growth Forum in Palm Springs, California. Here is your host, Lauren Feldman. Hello. Welcome to a special two-hour episode of Mind Your Business, live from the EY Strategic Growth Forum in Palm Springs, California. You're listening to SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Warden School. I'm your host, Lauren Feldman. I'm the Senior Editor of Entrepreneurship at Forbes. EY Strategic Growth Forum is an annual invite-only event with over 2,000 CEOs and founders in attendance. We're honored to be here and uh, send a big thanks to EY for hosting us. We're going to do something a little different today. Normally, as you know, the show is all about you, our listeners. We take your calls, offer advice, kick around what you're struggling with, whatever your pain point is at the moment. But today, we're going to be speaking with some pretty impressive entrepreneurs uh, about their own stories of success and failure. And now, our next guest, moving right along here, is Sherry Stewart Deutschman, uh, founder of a very special company called Letter Logic. Um, Sherry, welcome to uh, Mind Your Business. We're really happy to have you here. Thanks, Lauren. I'm not going to pretend I don't know you. Um, we met at this very conference, I don't know, maybe six years ago. Yes. Uh, and when I was at the New York Times, we did a, a really interesting Q&A with you about how you built your business, um, which uh, I think was a really interesting read for a lot of people. You have a, uh, you have a great story to tell. Um, as I recall, you started uh, as a salesperson uh, at a different company, uh, doing the same kind of work that you wound up doing at Letter Logic. Uh, right. t- tell us what that business is. It's uh, processing, printing, and mailing patient statements for hospitals. So not a very sexy business, but a really <laughs> necessary one. And you were working for an existing company um, that I believe had private equity owners, mm-hmm. and you were the, in charge of sales. Exactly. Um, producing all of their revenue. Exactly. Didn't feel as though your voice was being heard. Not only that, I felt like I had become a professional apologist because everything that we could do wrong in our industry, we were doing it. And so I spent most of my time putting out fires all day, every day, apologizing to customers for what we had done wrong and you know it occurred to me that um no one cared about the results of our our products every day because nobody cared about them and so i tried to influence as much as i could with the owners of the company and in frustration quit and started a company competing with them what made you think you could start your own business had you had any preparation at all that uh you know set you up? No. No. (laughs) No, I had only a high school education. I'd never had any management courses. Hadn't really had much experience in managing even a team. But a few weeks prior to the day I quit this company, a very wealthy, very successful businessman in the county approached me and said, I've been watching you. I've been watching this company. I think you should leave them. And I think you should start your own competing company and I will back you. And um, his offer wasn't very inspiring to me. He was going to um, generously allow me to own up to 5% of the company uh, <laughs> at probably 20 years later. So it was easy for me to say no to that. But the fact that he had faith in me and thought that I could do it really inspired me. And so I, I went and bought the book, A uh, Business Plan for Dummies, and wrote a business plan and took off. And you, you, uh, you started this business 
with, I believe, one idea in mind that okay. you had to put one particular uh, stakeholder first in terms of running the business, and that stakeholder was? That was absolutely the employee. Which is kind of a radical thought for a lot of businesses. What made you think, as an employee, that sounds great. What made you think that would make it work for the business? Well, I had seen already what it had done for Herb Kelleher, um, the founder of Southwest Airlines. And I had read his book, and it really resonated with me. To me, it was just um, uncommon common sense that if the employees were happy, like if the flight attendants were happy, the passengers were going to be happy. So if the employees were happy, then they would be engaged and focused and take good care of the customer. Uh, if the customer was happy, the customer would be loyal and would be willing to pay more for the great service they were getting, and that I, the shareholder, would benefit ultimately. You're listening to Mind Your Business here on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Warden School, Channel 111. Normally, we'd be taking your calls, but we're broadcasting live from the EY Strategic Growth Forum in Palm Springs, California. We're talking to Sherry Deutschman, who recently sold her company, Letter Logic, that we're talking about, and we're going to get to why she did that and, and how it worked out. Uh, but, Sherry, I want to talk a little bit more about what made this company so special. And one of the things that I know you did is at a certain point, you rethought the way you were paying your employees, especially mm-hmm. the lower level employees. Can you tell us what triggered that thought? What, what made you think that you had to rethink how you were doing that? Well, our employee first culture included paying what I thought were the highest wages in the industry. Um, giving the employees 10% of the profit every month, uh, split evenly, regardless of of title. That split, meant split evenly, meaning no matter how high long you'd been there or how high you were in the organization, you got the same monthly profit distribution that somebody who was doing a, a much lower level job. Yes, the CFO got exactly the same dollar amount that the receptionist got, who got the same dollar amount the truck driver got. And the point was that everybody would know that their their part in making our products as good as they could were just as important and no more important than anyone else's job. Um, And you were profitable at this time. We were. We were profitable pretty quickly and we were debt-free for most of our 14-year history. But we also helped employees buy their first homes, um, helped them start their own businesses if they wanted to do that, let them bring their kids and their pets to work, paid them by the mile if they walked or biked to work pay for 100% of their medical, dental, disability, and life insurance. But the uh, paying a fair living wage is a part that at $12 an hour when the minimum wage in Tennessee was seven twenty-five an hour, I thought we were doing a good job. And I was at a conference and I heard a man talk about how he determined what a fair living wage was in his area was to look at what happened if the two lowest paid employees in the company started dating. Heaven forbid. Um, it happens. So if, if they start dating and they get married, on their salaries or their hourly wages, where will they live? In what neighborhood will they live? Um, where will their kids go to school? Will they be able to have kids, to afford to have children? Um, can their children go to college? And even can this, these, this couple, could they actually have a savings account? Could they take a vacation? You and I take vacations for granted, but there are a lot of people in this country who have never had a real vacation. So when he uh, threw that idea at me, the next day I raised our minimum wage to $14 an hour. Almost doubled it. Yes. 
uh, well, we, we were at twelve dollars an hour. Oh, okay. At Letter Logic. Okay. Um, and so, in the next day, I raised it to fourteen dollars an hour, but I kept doing the math over and over again. And uh, even in Nashville, I realized I had to raise that, and raised it to uh, sixteen dollars an hour just a few weeks later. And what was the impact on the company? Were, were you able to afford that? Well, a lot of people will tell you that that would put you under and that that was a really bad idea. I've talked to people who say that. <laughs> but truthfully, over the next uh, 18 months, the company uh, quadrupled EBITDA. It, and it wasn't just that. We did a lot of other smart things. Do you, do you think you quadrupled EBITDA in spite of that or because of that? I think it's because of that. I mean, I, constantly, I do a lot of public speaking about this employee-first culture, and I'll, I constantly have people raise their hands at the end and say, we can't afford to do that. And my response is, you don't understand. I'm only successful because of it, not in spite of it. This employee-first culture as a business model really works. A business owner almost has to take that on faith, though. How do you convince them that they would have the same experience that you had? Well, um, I can show them um, the financial results of my company, but there's also several other um, ex examples out there. You look at the difference between Costco and, and Walmart. You look at uh, Starbucks. Um, there's a great example of Scripps Healthcare in San Diego who was really suffering for several years financially, and they took an employee-first culture and now have become one of the most prestigious hospitals, most successful turnarounds in, in the history of healthcare simply because they took an employee-first culture. You should have been with us when we'd go to a customer uh, wanting their business and sitting around a table trying to convince them to give us their business, but telling them, you need to understand first that we don't believe the customer comes first. Our employees come first. But let me tell you how that's going to affect you. And... Uh, Within a few minutes of me explaining to them the culture and some of the benefits and salary um, issues within the company, you could they got it. And they started nodding, and invariably somebody at the table would say, hey, can we come to work for you? <laughs> but it got to be where our sales team said that 85% um, of the sales, as they closed the sales, were due to the culture, um, that the uh, prospective buyers really got how that would benefit them. And so they were willing to pay even more for our services because of the culture. And all this time, your company continued to grow. I know you were on the Inc. 5000 list. Uh, 11 at, straight years. And profitable Yes. Through, throughout. Um, not throughout. Not throughout. But, but, <laughs> but there were two months, um, about two years before we went to sell, two months back-to-back -back where we lost money. And um, I kind of knew what our problem was, but I just couldn't face it myself. So... Um, I brought in a, a new COO to help me figure it out or really just to face the facts and to take care of it. But it was a very quick turnaround back to profitability. No, well, now you got us all curious. Can you tell us what the problem was? Uh, yeah, well, I was. Uh, our business is not very sexy. It's printing and mailing bills and uh, just a really f a factory. And um, I was trying to turn the company into a technology company where we would um, – deliver the statements to patients electronically and receive their payments electronically. And I'd already spent a couple of million dollars in trying to do that. Um, IT help in Nashville is very expensive. We've got about 1,800 open IT jobs in Nashville. So I was hiring people as quickly as possible to write code to create this um, 
electronic service for ourselves instead of outsourcing it. And um, we were hiring people so quickly we couldn't even take time to train them or integrate them into um, the, the company. And so Brad, our new COO, said, you know, you, you need to embrace what you are. You're the very good service company and quit trying to be something you're not. And you can continue to spend millions and millions of dollars and you're never going to be where you want to be in that arena, but dominate in this arena. He was so right. So, um, so in the limited time we have left, I think we've established that you built a really special business. Thank you. Why did you start thinking about selling it? Well, it was uh, 18 months of, of uh, a hockey stick growth on EBITDA that made it look like it was really exactly the right time to, to sell. And about the same time, my teenage granddaughter came to live with me. And with a teenager in the house, I knew I needed to be a little more present and not be on the road growing a company. So just everything came together to say it's the right time to sell. Was that a, a hard decision for you? I mean, I am, I, I'm guessing given the environment you've described, you probably enjoyed going to work uh, at, at that time. Loved it. I lo- absolutely love the people. They are my family. So I hear business owners say all the time some version of, I worry about the day when I sell my business. If, if I sell my business, what will I be the next day? Well, you know, I'm not going to be a business owner anymore. Who am I? What will I do? Did you worry about that? I absolutely experienced that, really a loss of identity, and especially because it felt like it was the only thing I'd really been successful at. And so I'm, I'm, I still struggle with it sometimes. But this was about a year ago that you sold the business. Yes, yes. And, and how did the process go? How did you go about trying to sell the business? Um, I hired a business broker, Mike Nolan, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and he helped me, one, know exactly how to build the value of the company first and worked with him over a series of several months and then went to market and had several offers and took the, the offer that I thought would the company that would best protect the culture of the company. You, that, that has to be a, a difficult time, too. I mean, especially you, you know, when you built an employee first culture, the idea of selling that and walking away from those employees, I'm sure must have been somewhat traumatic for you. How, how did you deal with that? I cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like uh, putting your baby up for adoption and then seeing the new you know, parents walk away with your, your baby. That must have been hard. You also did something for them financially. I did. Which was you... Well, uh, historically, you know, the company had always given 10% of the profit to the employees. But um, as I sold the company, I I gave 15% of the the selling price to the employees. This time it was tenure-based. So the the persons who had been with us the longest got, you know, a nice chunk of cash. And some of the That must have made you feel a little better. It was great. It was, you know, some of them really um, made life-changing moves with that little bit of money. Uh, some of them paid off houses, some bought new cars, uh, one guy bought a boat. <laughs> you said that you picked the offer that you took based on the hope that this company would maintain the culture that you'd created. Yes. Did that work out the way you hoped it would? Um, I, I think that, um, you know, they have their own culture that they're trying to, to bring to, to bear, to bring to play. <laughs> that sounds like a no. Uh, well, it's, it's. Not exactly. It's not exactly the way yes. you would have done yes. it. Yes, yes. Do you think it's worked out okay for the employees that you left left at the company? Yes, those that are there I think are happy and, and working well with the new ownership. Did a lot of them stay? Um, a lot of them did and quite a few left. 
Is there anything that you would do differently if you had it to do over again? Did, did you learn something going through this process that you would share with other business owners thinking about selling? I learned a lot. Um, I, you know, if I had it to do over again, I would probably n- not sell the company. I probably really? would have been the one doing the uh, the acquisition myself. That didn't occur to you at the time? It, it didn't. And do you think you would have been in a position to buy the company that bought you? Were, were you sufficiently large to? Uh, um, I, I think I definitely could have gotten the financial backing to do it. So, yeah. Interesting. But then you would have had still had the same problem that you started with, which was <laughs> the granddaughter at home. Uh-huh. I would probably find some way to work that out. Interesting. So my guess is you're still a young woman. You must be thinking about starting another business. I, I am. You know, the most important thing I'm working on right now is uh, just trying to infect other business leaders with the idea of an employee-first culture and how it's a really good business strategy. So I've, I've written a book um, about, it was really, I guess, an instructional memoir um, outlining a lot of the mistakes that I made and things that, but, but things that I got right to and practical ways to implement an employee-first culture. That's the most important thing that I can do right now. And then I spend a lot of time um, um, working, you know, mentoring um, other entrepreneurs and budding entrepreneurs and I've started investing, um, too, in, in just women-owned businesses right now and women-owned businesses who agree to um, use the same employee first culture. How do you find those businesses? Uh, they find me. Uh, our, our company has really gotten a lot of uh, attention over the past several years, and so they hear about our culture and call me to say, how did you do that? And If somebody um, has a business that would be interested in your support, how would they find you? Sherry at SherryDeutschman.com. Um, you also have been doing some uh, lobbying in uh, Washington, D.C., haven't you? Um, not exactly lobbying, but I'm part of the National Women's Business Council. It's a, a small group of women um, working under the Small Business Administration whose role it is to advise um, Congress, the President, and the SBA on issues related to access to capital for women in business and access to markets and networks. Have you found a receptive audience? Uh, We're working on it. (laughs) Sherry Deutschman, thank you so much for joining us here, for taking the time. Really enjoyed hearing about your company. Thank you, Lauren. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.